In today's The STEM Space episode, I'm chatting with Patrick Ream, a ground controller trainee at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. I'm going to ask him all about his work at NASA, pathway to his STEM career, and of course, all about space exploration. My hope is that his stories and the others we share from STEM professionals provide you with insight into the real world of science and engineering so you can bring it back to your students. All right, let's dive right in. Welcome, Patrick, to the STEM Space Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hi everyone, in today's The STEM Space episode, I am chatting with Patrick Ream, a ground controller trainee at NASA's Johnson Space Center. I'm gonna ask him all about his work at NASA, pathway to his STEM career, and of course, all about space exploration. My hope is that his stories and the others we share from STEM professionals like him provide you with insight into the real world of science and engineering that you can bring back to your students. All right, so let's dive right in. Welcome, Patrick, to the STEM space. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm excited to talk with you. I'm just appreciative that you reached out. And I think we should share with the listeners kind of your recent experience with students. So you contacted me about, hey, how can I get involved? Reach back to students because you wanted to share your story. And so, as you know, I run the Space Club program where we have kids in elementary and middle school doing these STEM challenges. And so I wasn't expecting this, but you were like, hey, I'll go in person if they're nearby. And so we hooked you up with a teacher. It was Faith West Academy in Katy, Texas, and you're located in Houston, which is right there. So tell me about that. What happened? Yeah. So, you know, I remember growing up and seeing NASA plastered everywhere and having it, you know, kind of be a a goal of mine, something, you know, that I always wished I could always do, but never really thought of it as realistic until, you know, I got the call to, to, to take the job or get the job offered to me. And I realized that one of the reasons why NASA was such a you know goal of mine was because of people doing things intentionally to inspire me, you know, to guide me down to, to follow the, the, this sort of career path. Because really, it, it all depends on who you're surrounding yourself from a little kid. And I realized, you know what, like, space is something that's for everyone. I know what's been given to me. So I want to do anything in my power to give back. And so that's oh. why I reached out. I knew I'd, uh, I, I, we had spoken before. And I was like, I loved what they had to say. I love what they're doing. I hope they'll see my email and the flood of emails that they probably get all the time. And thankfully, y'all did. And Y'all were able to get me in contact with Faith West Academy and, you know, allow me to speak to their amazing students. And I have to say, they they were amazing. They blew me away with with the sorts of questions they had, because essentially I had ideated this this structure that I was going to give a speech about, you know, trying to, like, make impactful points. Have them go like, whoa, wow, you know, and then eventually. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, Because I think like there's nothing cooler than just seeing like the look of awe in a a kid's face. Right. And so that's how I was going to do it. But I started it off. I was like, what do ground control? What what do we do in mission control? What's our job? 
they gave me some questions, some answers. And I was like, those are all great answers, but they don't cover the essence of what our job is. And I said, our job is to make sure that all that we get all 11 astronauts orbiting in the ISS back down home, safe and sound to the friends and family. Right. And I gave a pause, you know, for the impact and then immediately hands started shooting up. And I was like, Okay, looks like looks like we're going off script. So I, I started. Uh, I pointed at someone. Hey, give me your question. And they started firing off questions from all over the place, and it just turned into a huge Q and A session where I was uh, explaining to them quantum physics, quantum mechanics, oh like high level stuff that they know that they completely understood. It what? was, uh, for example, yeah, oh yeah, one hundred percent. I know. I was blown away. Like, for example, one of them was like, "So what is a black hole?" And I was like my goodness gracious that's <laughs> where do i even begin so i started off by describing what density is and then okay a black hole is a singularity what's a singularity and then talking about okay and just breaking it down in, in a sort of digestible manner and they just followed the entire way and one of the things that really like stood out to me was one of the kids asked me hey so why does a star sometimes turn into a, a red dwarf or a red giant no i'm sorry red giant Right. And so that's a very fairly complicated question with a lot of physics involved, yeah. starting off with E is equal to MC squared. <laughs> right. That that super famous, super well-known equation that Einstein was able to derive. And and then from there going into gravity and from gravity going into, you know, stars and how stars actually uh, use hydrogen fusion as fuel and, you know, they, I just I started hearing them like put all the puzzle pieces together and I started hearing some of them get to the final solution to the final answer before I had actually put it all together for them. And that was just so like inspiring in a way yeah. because it showed that they were like really engaged and not only that, but that they understood the the material that I was presenting to them. And and after the discussion, after the QA session we had. The students went up to me, showed me all their awesome projects that they had made, which frankly, I wish I had the opportunity to do growing up, but I'm very happy to see that they've been able to do that and show them all off. And yeah, so this is what we did. You know, we're so surprised that it worked. And I was like, I mean, the physics, but you know what? It's <laughs> fine. Like, that's awesome. Uh, and then they said, hey, you know, could, could you come with us to our uh, math class later? And then other students were like, no, come, come with us to our science class. No math. And eventually some of the students went and asked their math teacher, hey, uh, could uh, Patrick come and, you know, sit in with us during our, our math class? And I, I told them, I'll only do it if your teacher's okay with it. Because obviously I'm not going to just barge into a teacher's classroom and just go like, all right, kids, <laughs> I'm your teacher now. So thankfully she said yes. And she gave me a, a four, first 40 minutes of her class to continue answering questions. Wow. And it was, yeah, it was honestly a phenomenal experience. They legitimately said that they had learned a lot. And at the end of it, one of the kids went up to me and said, you know, Patrick, when you start your space company in about in 10 years, I want to work for you. And I was like, oh man, Aww. like, yeah, that it, which basically means that I have to start a space company now. <laughs> and, exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh, 100%. I can't let her down anymore. It was awesome experience and I can't wait to do it again. Did you have 
a similar experience to that growing up that maybe inspired you to be excited about NASA and engineering? I would say yes, but not, I promise you, I did not ask the level of questions that they <laughs> <Yes>. asked. <laughs> <laughs> and so coming from, you know, parents, my parents, my, my siblings, my teachers or whatever, they, they were very instrumental in answering the, any, any sort of question I would have about space and space flight or, you know, anything like that. Now, uh, obviously, there's, there, th there's different levels to things because I, my God, those teachers have been knocking it out of the park <laughs> and yeah. uh, not only like with the hands-on experience that they've had, but frankly, the, the amount of physics knowledge that they already have, like in seventh grade, which allowed them to kind of have these, these productive conversations, I didn't have access to, but you know what? I knew that once I had an opportunity to give back with all the knowledge I had accumulated, I had to do so. I had to figure out a way to do it. And what, so I'm going to switch, before we get into what you do at mm -hmm. NASA, like, let's keep going here with your journey and pathway to STEM. So- mm -hmm. Was there like a turning point as a kid where you're like, this is what I want to do? Like, how did you end up where you're at? That's a really good question. So I wouldn't necessarily say that there's like a specific inflection point or like where I was like, no, this is 100% what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I would say it was more so like a slow and steady and methodical sort of accumulation of information and knowledge to the point where I, where at the end of high school, when I was finally at the point where I was going to make a decision as to what I wanted to do, it made my decision to follow a career in aerospace engineering a lot easier because I don't like, I personally don't think that there's such a thing as somebody just being, just being born knowing what they want to do. It's really uh, their environment and the people that, that uh, inspire them contribute a huge, if not the total amount of what they eventually find interest and so, for example, one of the thing or the thing that initially made me aware of space outside of, you know, looking up at the night sky was that my aunt, when uh, she took care of us when I was little, she was taking an astronomy course in, in community college. Right? And so my aunt, being the great person that she is, she would uh, tell us all these amazing things about space and space facts. Right. And, and as a little kid, everything, everything space or any sort of like unique fact is always so mind blowing because everything is new to you. Uh, right, and right. I remember, yeah, I remember one day or one morning I woke up and my, my older brother and my aunt were like waiting, excitedly waiting to share something with me. Right. And so I, I asked them, Hey, what's up? And they're like, Patrick, Patrick, you won't believe what we saw in the night sky last night. And I was like, what? We saw Saturn. Uh, yeah. my aunt explains, yeah, I woke up your, your older brother to show him Saturn in the sky. Isn't that so cool? And Initially, I was like, wow, that is cool. And then I thought, why didn't they wake me up? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted it. I want to see Saturn in the night sky. What? What's going on here? And because in my mind, I was imagining like a huge planet, like bigger than the moon in the night sky. <laughs> right. And so what little kid doesn't want to see that? And they were right. like, no, it's because you were sleeping so sound. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> why would I have wanted to miss that? And eventually, you know, it, it started like that. That was, I would say, that the the start of my interest in space. Uh, and then, when when I finally got to college, I realized, well, I want to do engineering. What sort of engineering? Well, I've had this passion for space that I've been cultivating ever since I was little. Well, 
let's do aerospace engineering. So did aerospace engineering, graduated, and thankfully landed a, a job in mission control at NASA. And that's, you know, space just has that power to captivate so many kids, like those students that were asking you all these questions of black holes and stars. And we often don't think kids can understand these big questions that it seem really abstract and complicated, but it's often because we don't give them a chance, right? We just simplify it and you'll learn it later. That's, you know, too difficult, Yeah. but it can also be as simple as giving them a telescope and, you know, looking at Saturn. I've done that with my middle school kids where we'd have star parties, right? And you have like this astronomical association come out with all their telescopes and like looking at Saturn is the coolest thing. And it's those experiences for kids just to like open up their mind because we all look outside up at the stars, but to start like wondering and asking these questions. So my question for you is what advice do you have for teachers out there that want to inspire their kids and, you know, get them passionate about something so they want to come to school and learn more? That's a really good question. And I guess uh, the way I see it is that every kid or every child is unique in their own way, right? And I know teachers out of anyone know this the most. And so not every child is going to be inspired by space. Not every child is going to love cars. Not every child is going to, you know, have the same interests as everyone else. But what they will have is interests, right? And so a lot of the times, or no, this is childhood developmental psychology. What they do is they ask a lot of questions, because at the end of the day, kids really don't know that much about the world. And one of the best ways outside of, you know, their senses to find out more is by asking those questions. Now, I 100% agree with what you said, how uh, oftentimes we, we limit kids by saying, you know, oh, you'll learn about this later. But it's kids are better served it, being shown answers to their questions than being told that they'll eventually learn it, you know? And if you don't know an answer to something, it's best you either figure out what the answer is, you know, by Googling it or something or pointing them in the right direction so that they can find out on their own. Because, you know, there's so many things out, out here in this world, on this planet, in this universe that are just so honestly inspiring, so honestly, so impactful to students but students never really get the chance to discover it because sometimes people just don't want to put in the effort to guide them along that path. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just, it's just, you know, trying to answer as many questions as possible. Don't limit them. Don't be like, you know what? Hey, like you, you know, no, don't be an artist, be an engineer that has more money. No, like give, give people an opportunity, you know, like, nope don't you don't want people to you know years down the line to to look back and regret the decisions they've made because of pressure from external sources right Mm -hmm. you want them to follow their dreams and if you know if things don't go the way you wanted it for them well you know at least they tried and at least they had the opportunity to try and the only way they can try is by you know sharing in their passion as much as you can yeah and i think it's important that keeping in mind that kids can't dream of things they don't know about. Exactly. 
we know about artists and see doctors on TV and like lawyers and, you know, CSI, like, right, there's a lot of media on certain jobs, but other jobs are not as covered. And maybe they've never heard of your job, like, okay, space, like what, that's cool, but what can I do with that? And that's what I think is the role of a teacher and a parent is just to open their mind to here's all these options for you and not force them, you know, you have to be an engineer, but yeah. you could be an engineer if you want to. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about your job as an engineer. So what is it that you do? So you got this degree in aerospace engineering, and then you went and worked at NASA right away, right? Uh-huh. Immediately. Yeah. So essentially what a ground controller does is we support all manned missions in space. So ISS, Artemis, which is going to launch soon. Orion, which is the capsule for Artemis. Lunar Gateway, which is set to finally launch soon as well. So anything like that, we cover in mission control and ground controllers make sure that we can communicate effectively and, and, and send commands to those, to those stations at all times, right? We also make sure that, you know, the, the ground facilities are working at all times, making sure that, that certain servers don't go down, that certain connections aren't severed. Essentially, anything that goes from the ground into space, GCs or ground controllers make sure that that happens. And uh, there's a lot of different controller positions in mission control. So for example, there's some that are more specific to the ISS. So ADCO, for example, is the attitude de determination something officer, right? And essentially, as the name kind of suggests, there's a lot of acronyms at NASA. That's something that, that, that I've heard. like a book of acronyms that you have to learn. We, we, have, we have this website called Acronym Central, but sometimes it doesn't have all the acronyms. So, you know, you just have to learn it as you go. <laughs> That's and, uh, and so they, they, uh, the ADCO position has to do with the attitude of, of the space station, right? There's, others, there's other positions, for example, the Spartans. That's also an acronym. I can't, it's cool acronym. I don't know what it, what it stands for. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, they, they have to, they deal with all the electrical power systems on the ISS and things like that. So any sort of system that is related to space flight or manned space flight, we make sure it runs as smooth as possible down in mission control here in Johnson Space Center at NASA. And anything that's unmanned is usually done out of JPL or Jet Propulsion Labs uh, in, in California. And what's the hardest part of this kind of job? I would say it, it's communication, knowing how to communicate effectively, how to transmit information in such a way that people that have no idea what your system is about can understand and work with it because you know you can learn anyone can learn right anyone can if they put in the effort they can have you know they can have all the knowledge in the world but at the end of the day that doesn't matter if they don't know how to communicate that knowledge you could have the next billion dollar idea right but if you don't know how to communicate that it doesn't matter it's useless and so being able to digest information as it's coming into you, understanding who your audience is, and then relaying that information to your audience so that they understand it all in a very concise package is very crucial, very pivotal. And it's something that you really can only learn by doing and by, by putting yourself in situations where it's vital that you get the, the right information across in a timely manner. And that's where a lot of people uh, spend a lot of their time kind of stuck because mm -hmm. in mission control things can can go from you know very 
relaxed to very intense life or death situations in an instant to the highest pressure imaginable. And so it's learning to deal with that high pressure environment alongside communicating effectively. That just really is, it's, it's quite a challenge, but it's awesome. It's, it's a lot of fun. What would cause a high pressure situation? Can you give us an example? Yeah. So for any sort of systems on the ISS that goes, go down, for example, that are, that, that are pivotal for, for life support. <laughs> Anything yeah. that might affect impact crew health is very crucial. We need to get this fixed, repaired ASAP, right? So, for example, on the other hand, for ground controllers, uh, anything that kind of affects our ability to communicate with the ISS, if that goes down, well, we have to fix that ASAP as well, right? Because if you can't communicate with the ISS, well, then you have no idea what the status of any of the systems are, which means things could go very wrong and you won't know. It, so, so it's things like that. I can't go go too in-depth in, into each individual system because that is very, uh, there's a lot of it that's proprietary information, but essentially if it impacts the, the safety of the crew, the safety of the mission or the safety of the vehicle, it immediately turns into a very high pressure situation. How accurate are movies in depicting like what you actually do, because they make it very dramatic and I'm sure it is, but I'm just curious, like, is there a movie or are they like pretty accurate? I would say Apollo 13 is pretty good. Now, I would also say, have you, if you've seen the documentary Apollo 11, well, you know, that's a documentary. So it, right. it's kind of as accurate as it gets, right? And that's pretty accurate too. And it, it but it really just depends because uh, for example, during the, uh, during rocket launches, things are happening very quickly, right? Cause you, there's a vehicle that's in motion whose objective is to get into orbit. So you're constantly monitoring all the systems all the time for any sort of deviation from the norm and from the nominal, right? Because any sort of deviation in a giant rocket means that rocket's going to go in a direction you don't want it to go. And, <laughs> and oh, whoops, uh, things have gone very bad. On the ISS, on the other hand, in general, things are a lot more relaxed because it, it, it's, it's, it, it does one orbit every 90 minutes. So it's a very, it's a very predictable sort of spacecraft, right? It, it's, so you're, you're also monitoring your systems, but you're not always going like, you know, Fido, go, you know, GC, go. It's not, <laughs> it's not always like that. Now, obviously there are certain scenarios where, you know, you want to do something and it's, it's imperative that your flight director knows about it. So you would, you would call the flight, you know, hey, flight GC requesting go for X, right? And then the flight director will, you know, get the information and decide whether or not they want to give you the go, right? And so yeah. they'll be like, all right, D GC, uh, you are go to do X, right? But sometimes they won't, they'll say no go because the flight director has situational awareness of all the systems and maybe giving you a go for one thing is just going to make a, another problem worse. So situations like that, you can see in, in Apollo 13, you can see in Apollo 11, the documentaries, but in general, like it's a lot more relaxed nowadays. Now with Artemis, since that's going to be a, you know, real-time rocket launch, that's going to go back to how things were, you know, hey, uh, Fido, go, Atco, go, you know, uh, <laughs> for now, and at least in ISS, it's, it's a little more relaxed, I would say.
yeah, I was thinking it would be really cool to have a simulated environment for kids to like have the experience of mission control where they get to like problem solve and get to say the cool commands. I think kids would would really like that. But I'm also wondering, you have a degree in aerospace engineering and you're doing a lot of communication and kind of like on the spot problem solving. Are you using your technical skills that you got like thermodynamics and stress analysis and that kind of stuff? Is that part of your job now? So I would say yes and no. So no, because for example, a ground controller or, or flight controllers in general, we're operators. So we're not the, so our job title is technically an engineer, but we more so operate the system. So if you think about like sci-fi movies, for example, you know, you think about the deck of the Starship Enterprise. We are the people on the deck of the Starship Enterprise. We are the pilots of the ship itself, right? right. So we, we have technical knowledge of our systems. We understand why everything happens the way it happens. But in general, we don't, unless things have gone very, very, very wrong, we don't do hand calculations like, okay, what is the, what, what is the, the heat transfer rate of this system? No, no, nothing like that. It's more so using our acquired problem solving skills to come up with quick solutions on the fly to problems. And if we can't come up with any real, like any solution, we work with engineers in the back rooms who who know the systems even more in depth than we do because we des because they designed them. So, so that's why it's like yes because we problem solve, but no because we're not like doing stress calculations ourselves. Right. In general. Yeah, and I think that's cool because there's so many different ways to use an engineering degree. It's not just the one designing the landing gear in an airplane, you know, it's not always that technical type of work, but you need the background to know how the systems work. And you probably have to have some kind of intuition on, oh, this is probably failing because of this. And if you didn't have that more holistic, like systems knowledge, you wouldn't be as good at your job. 100%. Yep, exactly. Uh, I believe it, it is required to have a STEM degree. Uh, but it doesn't matter what's it doesn't have to be engineering it could be biology but it's just because they want they want verification that you have the the technical ability to to problem solve and then after that it's putting you in high pressure situations until you are quote unquote comfortable operating uh, in in those situations oh interesting okay yeah. <laughs> i want to switch here now to like big picture stuff so uh -huh. For those are not familiar with all the exciting things happening with NASA, can you kind of give us a breakdown of what's coming up next? What is NASA working on right now in what you can tell us? Yeah, of course. So the big the big boy, the big ticket item is Artemis. We're going back to the moon. Finally, after Woo. after 50 years, we're landing on the moon again. And so our, our, uh, our launch is, is set for uh, sometime this year. And, and obviously this one's going to be uncrewed. It's just going to make sure the, it's just going to be a proof of, of uh, that all the systems work as, as normal or as intended, make sure that, you know, uh, we, we've accounted for all possible uh, anomalies before we actually put astronauts on, on this big rocket. Right. And then, you know, uh, eventually going back to the moon, I think in, in later Artemis missions, I can't recall off the top of my head, which Artemis missions, I don't even know if I can tell you which Artemis missions, <laughs> but uh, there's also lunar gateway, which uh, for those of y'all that don't know, is pretty much like an ISS, but uh, orbiting the moon. But instead of orbiting the moon every 90 minutes, like the ISS does, it's more about once every two weeks. 
and it's and it's essentially gearing uh, up towards you know for future manned missions to you know Mars, for example, or any other sort of planetary body that we want, that we might want to explore. Because at the end of the day, for those that don't know, there is ice water on the south pole of the moon in Shackleton Crater, and so water, if you put it through electrolysis, can be broken down into oxygen and hydrogen, and oxygen and hydrogen are components of rocket fuel, which means that the moon is essentially a giant refueling station. And so Lunar Gateway is going to is going to help, you know, put the infrastructure in place to eventually have a thriving space economy. I think it's really exciting. There's also Orion, which is the capsule for for Artemis. That one, that's also going pretty good. And there's uh, the ISS is going to continue operations up until 2030. Now everything's going good. Uh, NASA's there's a lot of work to do, and so there's a we're, we're hiring a lot. So if there's anyone out there listening to this and is interested in working at NASA, odds are there's a job for you, and odds are we want you and we need you. Yeah. Um, so this is the best time to join, especially all of my seniors. <laughs> I think they'd hate that I'm calling them seniors, but all <laughs> the people <laughs> uh, older than me are, are keep reminding me and keep reminding all of us that they're very they're jealous of of when we're starting at NASA is it's a very, very exciting time. You know, space flight hasn't, has never been this busy and I don't think it's gonna ever slow down again. What's the best way for people to keep track of all the cool stuff happening at NASA? So, uh, you know, you can follow the websites, you can go follow social medias. Now every NASA facility I believe has their own unique social media uh, as well. So for example, Johnson Space Center has one, Kennedy Space Center has one, and they release material that is more more curated towards what their facility itself is doing. Now, obviously, there's also the more general NASA social media that also releases a lot of you know general NASA information. But in general, it's just press conferences, news bulletins, going and visiting the facilities. I think yeah. that's also a very great way to, to learn about what's going on at NASA. In fact, I'd say that was one of the, when I visited Johnson Space Center, that was one of the things that really like made me want to work at NASA when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's there's a lot of different ways, you know, you could even look at the night sky and watch out for the ISS flying overhead. Right, yeah. Even like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me end with this big question of why space exploration? Like, why should we care? That is a really, really good question. There's, there's, there's a lot of different ways to answer that question, but I'll first start with, you know, our day-to-day lives have been drastically improved by space and space exploration because even ancillary technologies, technologies that weren't even really like pivotal to making space happen or, or space development happen, have improved our lives. For example, Tempur-Pedic. Tempur-Pedic came from the space age, space race, right? Now people get better sleep now more than ever because of of memory foam. And and, and GPS has drastically improved the ability for us to navigate between cities, between wherever it is that we want to go to from where we are right now. So like anything you can think of, space has, has provided an improvement for it. And frankly, Space has a solution for all of our problems right now. Even resources, the vastness of space is so large. We, we literally as humans cannot fathom it, which means that 
there is virtually unlimited amount of resources out there just waiting for us to, you know, extract them and use them and transform them into something that, you know, can be beneficial to all of humanity and allow us to preserve our planet, which uh, up until this point is the only planet that has life on it. So really, it's just spaces for everyone and any sort of advancement we do in space means that it's an advancement for everyone as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, in a hundred years, when we see how far we've come, we'll realize we were always meant to be a space faring civilization and we can't <laughs> ever go back. And I find that super exciting. Yeah, I agree. Okay. So I'm going to let you share at the end here. Let's target this for kids. What advice do you have for kids that are you know, maybe struggling with school, kind of lost. Um, I know you just talked with these middle school kids, but there's a lot of kids out there that maybe aren't as motivated as those that you talked with. And there's teachers that are trying to like, hey, you know, school's important, science is cool. Like, what can we tell those kids? Wow. So at least for me, the things that have gotten me through the toughest situations in my life, or the thing that has gotten me through the toughest situation in my life is is the fact that I had a goal or I have a goal, right? Mm -hmm. I have a dream. And the only way I could ever achieve that dream is by getting back up and continuing forward, right? Doesn't matter how small of an increment I'm moving forward. Doesn't matter if, if, I, move, if, if I move forward an inch, what matters is that I'm moving forward, right? Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you want to do something, if you want something to happen, there's three paths ahead of you, right? Either you you don't try and it doesn't happen. Either you try and it doesn't happen or you try and it happens. And the only one of those that actually leads you to where you want to be is when you try and when you don't stop trying, when you don't give up. And uh, honestly, at least life is never gonna be easy. I mean, there's gonna be, there's gonna be a lot of highs and lows, but understand that the challenges that you're facing right now are forming you into the person that you want to be later. Because mm -hmm. life without challenge really is a boring one. And it's frankly, you won't grow, right? And you have to embrace the challenge, put yourself in situations where you're uncomfortable and, you know, face the world head on because frankly, this world's going to come at you. <laughs> so, 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 you better push yeah. back and push back hard. Yeah. And it's like, take advantage of every opportunity and don't wait for them to happen to you. Right. Exactly. Like, go after them. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. It's been just amazing talking with you and I'm excited. I'm going to bring you back in the fall to do our career chats with our space club kids. And I know there's other teachers that wanted to have you talk with their classroom. So if you're up for another outreach activity, let me know and I can set you up with another. Oh, class. yeah. That'll Perfect. Be Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've had a blast. All right. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.